This is episode 277. Have you noticed that all of the people around you are carrying a little bit of extra weight or have some kind of illness or disease? And that the sugary snacks they love are also the same ones that you love? Maybe you even get together sometimes or even on a daily basis to indulge in sugar. A coffee and a muffin, a donut after work, ice cream after dinner, chocolate bars, chips and crisps throughout the day. Sugar addiction is a real biological thing and is often created and perpetuated by a family member or family members. If you've ever had a hard time getting off of sugar before and you feel that it's got a bit of a hold over you, or you were brought down by your colleagues, friends, or spouse to just go on, have another one. You can start again tomorrow. If that's familiar, then you're in the right spot. Because on this podcast, we explain exactly why you can't stay off of sugar and how to do so permanently. And I'm going to be totally honest. This is a dose of reality that we just cannot sweeten any further. You have to swallow this pill as is or stay sick. It's up to you. So let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I have just been on a bit of a world tour and I've been back in Melbourne for all of about 24 hours. I'm feeling a little bit frazzled, but mostly pretty good despite the lack of warmth that I've come back to. Take me back to Europe, please. (laughs) A big part of why I am back here is that in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. Now, returning back to that theme of being in Europe, we have a famous woman from Sweden on the show today, someone I love chatting to and catching up with, Bitten Johnson. Bitten is many things and has had an incredible career. She's been a nurse since 1973, a lecturer on the topics of sugar, flour, and processed food addiction, and she literally wrote the handbook on sugar addiction, how to treat it, manage it, overcome it, and avoid it. She's a powerhouse in this space. She's also the founder and creator of the professional certification that allows other health professionals like myself to become certified in a science-backed approach to sugar addiction. And last time Bitten was on the show, I spent a long time going through her extensive, amazing qualifications, education, and professional experience. So I highly recommend you go and check out that episode after you've finished here. That's on episode number 137. And not only has she hung out here before, but she's been on TV, radio, newspapers all over the world for the last 30 years. Like she is the go-to expert in this space. So without further ado, Bitten, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you. I was absolutely shocked over that introduction. (laughs) Why? I look back, have I done all that? (laughs) Oh, you've done all that and more. It's good to be back with you. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back. And as we were just saying, it's been almost two years since we last did this conversation and a lot has happened in the world in that time. But we were talking before we hit record about the idea of sugar addiction and problems with food and and food addiction being not just an individual problem, but a family illness. I would love to dive into that conversation and what you mean about it being a family illness. Okay, let's start with that. Addiction Any addiction, any outlet, alcohol, pills, whatever we pick up, has a big, big component of genetics. And through all the years, since I'm trained in addiction medicine, not only sugar addiction, 
I have always interviewed my clients. We always ask this question, does anyone in your family way back, it, you might go back some generations, have had a problem with any type of addiction? And of course, a lot of people don't really understand what is addiction. So we do explain that. It's a brain illness. It's not your fault that it happens to you. You have a sensitivity. Somehow you encounter a psychoactive substance, which is something you can be addicted to. And there you go. Bang, your brain is hijacked. Mm. And then you start this battle trying to quit, trying to cut down, trying all kinds of remedies. But you constantly fall because addiction is about loss of control. You're not running the show. The reward center and the illness, which we call the red dog for simplicity, is running the show. So when we look at a family, several people are afflicted. And the normalizing process that they think that's a way of living, they don't really see the problem. And it's in the nature of addiction, too, that dim your brain so that you don't put together consequences. So you don't see the culprit, the addiction behind it. You think, well, I have a bad character. I have a low moral. Everybody else can do this. I can't. I'm a bad person. I'm a wacko. I'm sick, which they, of course, are not. They are hostages in this illness. And when people understand that, usually I do that through that sugar diagnostic tool where we ask a lot of questions and we show them how their life has been with the curve and the criteria for addiction. But most people start crying. I had no idea. And now I can look back and see this started when I was a kid. Some people have memories of overeating when they're three years old four or five years old, six, seven, can clearly start seeing. And then comes the thing, well, my daughter has the problem too. And I've had so many letters from mostly moms. Can you please help my daughter? And they described this sad, sad scenario. And then they also said, and I have the same problem, but I never sought help either. So we see it runs in the family. And You know, when I look at your website, I love that you address mothers and children because still today, even though many men cook food, shop food, I mean, they should hear this too, but they, women are usually the provider of shopping and feeding the family. Yeah. And then that's why it's so important to teach them. And I love that you do that. I think we share that passion because I have heard so many stories women coming and doing my training and doing the treatment and then start to live in recovery, a drug-free life and doing the lifestyle changes. And they they call me up and they say, my six-year-old, we thought he or she had a letter combination, like a diagnose. And when we started eating proper in the family, no symptoms, none whatsoever. So I love the idea that we need to help each other to teach people about the incredible, incredible thing we have between our ears, that fat lump, (laughs) as I call it. But so many people have no idea what kind of fuel to give it. And if you give young people the wrong fuel mix, you actually rewire the brain and you actually nutritionally deplete the brain in a proper development. So you do get a lot of problems. 
And so many have told me too, well, my grandmother was really overweight and she ate only cookies and cakes and bread and, and she didn't really cook or she got diabetes and she got sick and she got this and that, a joint problem, inflammation, you name it. So we can so clearly see when we do this big assessment that this runs in the family. And then I have the point, it's not only the physical part, Maddie, but it's also the psychological part is very important to understand. People think that they eat because they are tired, depressed, sad, stressed. But the fact is that they are depressed, sad, stressed because they fuel their brain with the wrong fuel. They're stuck in the loop. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we, we have to start helping people put the horse in front of the wagon and not the other way around. Because then if you ask for help for depression without changing your food intake and your lifestyle, nothing going to be better. Yeah. So, uh, so many parents have told me too that I'm so grateful that I am in recovery today and drug-free from these foods because I have... I connect to my children now. I see them. I hear them. I can be the proper parent. When I was in foggy brain from the food, I didn't care. I let them run amok. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not only physical. It's genetic and inherited illnesses. It's very much psychological. And I love Christopher Palmer writes in his book, The Brain Energy, which is an excellent book to understand this part. You know, on the keto low carb community, like Nutrition Network, they can explain the physical part more, both. Mm -hmm. And the social is very important to understand because you get a hampering of it. And many times when I was starting to work in this field, you saw that people said that obesity was a class question among people. Mm -hmm. I never, ever believed that for a second. I think it is more like if you're a child growing up, in an environment where you don't get the proper food, your brain is not developing properly. You, you're stressed, you have a foggy brain, you can't really comprehend school. So again, we have to turn the table and see that every kid should have proper nutrition and of course the whole family. Yeah. And that's when we avoid and prevent problems in the future. So it's all connected together. Yeah, one thing that I, I find interesting in that idea of a family illness is that because the sugar industry has become so prolific in the last 50, 70, 100 years, generations say that's possibly born post-World War II and they weren't really exposed to too much and then the next generation was exposed at a younger age and a younger age and now we've got children that the first thing that goes in their mouth is some type of fruit puree that's got added sugar in it. and so. I know that you often say that a lot of people find that if they look into their past, they've been doing this since they were a child. Do you think that that's associated with the access to sugar and the increasing access to sugar? Or do you think for the last several hundred years, this has possibly been a normal problem in people's lives? Of course it is now when we have all the processed food. This wasn't. I Look, at. I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And my mother always cooked from clean ingredients like we got meat from the farmer. We got 
raw milk, we got cheese. There weren't any processed food. Mm -hmm. If we ever got a piece of chocolate or store-bought ice cream, that was like heaven for us because we thought that was so attractive because we didn't get it. Yeah, uh, I didn't grow up with that kind of food. And then I can see the difference with the young clients I have that grew up with this, with soda. I think I drank soda twice when I was a kid. Yeah, well. Christmas and midsummer. And I see now when they have all these energy drinks and all the soda, I see the incredible problem we have today. It is the line to the child psychiatric department is huge. I wonder if they do the connection that energy drinks has increased four times the last year in Sweden. Yeah. And also the another problem we have is that vegetarian food is marketed so highly, vegan and vegetarian. There's no nutrition in that food for a human brain. We thrive on animal food and animal fats. That's what we are born to eat. So there are, and then we have social screens and media. and then. Medication for diagnoses, neuropsychiatric diagnoses. If you start adding these dots that I just mentioned, connect the dots. Nobody connects the dots. Everybody sees this as separate problems. But we do have a severe problem on our hands today. And I'm thinking to what Lustig said in the lecture. The study showed that people, young people that drink a lot of soda are very aggressive. We see also a very aggressive society today. Yeah. A lot of bad moods and bad temper. So, of course, you can't, this fat lump between our ears, you can't mistreat it. So to put processed food in there, that's like putting sugar water in the tank of a Ferrari. Yeah. There's absolutely no way you can do that without severe, severe consequences. So... And also the marketing from the food industry is absolutely sickening. And as a mother or a father, you're always insecure. Am I doing the best for my kid? So you start looking around you. What does others do? Well, they eat this food. If it would be dangerous, they wouldn't be selling it. I've heard that so many times. Yeah, candy and cookies and ice cream. And it's always this. Sugar, sugar, sugar. So I know parents that try to quit that. They are in a bombardment from society, from social friends. And so many parents have called me and almost cried and said, we decided to quit this for our kid. And he or she is doing so much better. But grandma and grandpa think they should stick candies to him, her all the time. Because they think that they are comforting or being nice or being kind. Because that type of food wasn't around when they were kids. Yeah. So now when we have this in really colorful packages and marketed as something nice to give your kids, grandma and grandpa is always wanting to give that as treats. So the parents are, it's a clash between generations. It's like, Well, grandma say, this was not around when I was a kid, so I wouldn't provide it for my grandkids. Not understanding that they are ruining the brain. Yeah, well, and the sweets that those grandparents had when they were younger were highly diluted in comparison to the volume of sugar that's in the same volume of lolly now or sweet now. Yeah, and it wasn't 
the, the processed food today has almost no micronutrients. Some of the processed food in the beginning did have some micronutrients. And also it wasn't so toxic because today we live in a very toxic world with pesticides and depleted soil. And I mean, I could go on and on. I'm not going to make it into (laughs) that. But the processed food and ultra processed food today is much, much more poisonous in every aspect than it was just 15 years ago. Oh, absolutely. And I was going to say too, the the behavioral issues that are now associated, particularly for children, but adults as well, in regard to food coloring numbers and the chemicals that those cause and the damage that they cause in the brain. The allergies, yeah. the allergies, the ruining of the microbiome. So we're ruining the microbiome in the world, in the soil, in the nature. I just read Nutella. Do you guys have Nutella? Yes, yes. It's That's a drug Ooh. in its own category, it's, Nutella. It's horrible. It's horrible. But I just read this article in the newspaper about um, hazelnuts uh, provided in the old way in Italy. What do you call it? Um, organic. Mm-hmm. So how those farmers really treated their soil and other things in between to not deplete the soil. And they had grass from the lawn as a cover on the ground, and they were really caring for their soil in their small farms. Now, the big companies making Nutella buy up a lot of land that should be used for having grazing animals or a lot of other things, and they spray it with pesticides, and they deplete the soil, and they have artificial fertilizer on it just to make Nutella. Yeah. So. One thing would be to ban Nutella forever, a lot of other things. But I mean, there is so much connections if you start looking around and you see a lot of these things going on in the world. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I was just in Italy and I I traveled with an Italian friend and she actually said to me, you need to try the real Nutella. And she said there's a brand that's similar flavor, but a very different ingredient list. And she said the difference about it is that it almost tastes the same as Nutella. However, you don't feel that addiction response. You don't feel like you need to keep going and going and going. And so she she bought some and I tried it and she was totally right. Like I haven't tried Nutella in many years, but I remember once I started, it was like, just keep spooning it into my face. But this one was so much different. Like I really didn't feel the desire that I needed more and more and more and more. And she said, yeah, this is the one that you buy if anything about food and nutrition, basically. It tastes similar, but there's less food and brain science that's gone into it to manipulate your behavior. Interesting. And you talked about when we grew up, my generation, and you're much younger than me, you could be my son, but the generation like you, it wasn't so much toxic things. And I'm thinking the big thing is today we have so much high fructose corn syrup, mm-hmm. which totally, totally plays havoc in your brain yeah. and in your body with the insulin, with receptors in your brain, with what you go on and on about that. That is the big thing because high fructose corn syrup is cheap. Yeah. It's very cheap. So that's what they put in it today. When you and I grew up, if we bought a store-bought ice cream, it was regular cane sugar in it. And it wasn't as sweet at all. So there's a huge difference today. So once you start eating sweets, your palates change. 
so felt very sweet a week ago. It's not so sweet today. So you want something sweeter. That's the way those foods are made. And a lot of people think it's about the mouth and the stomach and, and overweight. Uh-uh. The organ that gets destroyed is the brain. Yeah. And that's where we have to start teaching people about what the food does to their body and brain. And also teaching people about insulin response, blood glucose and insulin response. I think everybody should be interested in understanding that. I mean, everybody knows what to put in their lawnmower and their car. Mm-hmm. So we should help people start looking at this too. Absolutely. I'm curious going into that conversation around glucose and fructose metabolism is in the context of sugar addiction, is it processed differently or, and I think when I talk about fructose, I really think about fruit. And and if you go into that sugar addiction mindset, do you need to also remove the fructose and the fruit from your diet as well? Most people have to do that because the thing is that you're born with a sugar sensitive brain. You have this sensitivity for carbs. So we talk about all the carbs. And most I've seen through the years, I've been working with this for 30 years. And if you look back at the food plants we had in the beginning, we had tons of veggies, we had lots of fruit, low fat. We had like brown grain. We thought that was better, brown rice and whole wheat and all that type of thing. Abstinent, i.e., drug free and not have the craving and relapse back into the sugar because it was such a high sugar content. And through the years, we have learned to look at the insulin response. I mean, it's many years ago, many, many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I started to talk about highly overactive pancreas. That's where insulin is made. Because I saw that it was a different response in the sugar addicts versus a normal person that didn't have it. So and I remember my co-author, my book, Sugar Bomb 3.0, uh, she didn't understand. She was a medical journalist and she didn't understand sugar addiction. So in order to write the book, I said, you have to come with me and do a lot of my training, the one I do for clients. So she sat in on lectures and lectures And she was just shaking her head in the beginning. She couldn't understand, why does people eat like that? They get sick. (laughs) Because she was the normie. She had a normal use of all this. And then one day she came to me and said, what bitten? The coin dropped. And I said, oh my goodness, Pia, what happened? And she said very simply, and this is a language to help people understand, simple language metaphors. She said, When I eat a piece of chocolate and you eat a piece of chocolate, your reaction is different in your brain and your body than mine. Yes, we are biochemically unique. So when we talk about sugars, doesn't matter if you're sugar addicted, if you have developed that, any carb is could be very dangerous to you. That's why low carb keto has proven through Nutrition Network in South Africa, Professor Tim Noakes, the new book, the research they have, that is the optimal fuel for our brain. Because not only does it take away the craving for sugar, so that you have a much easier time to stay abstinent in a world where you have constant exposure of this. It's everywhere. I mean, go to the gas station and the smell from the bakery and the chocolate and the ice cream and the breads. And I mean, it's bombarding you. So we understand, we, we have seen since 2005, when low carb came to Sweden, 
And about 2015, when the keto approach, which is low carb minus some of the milk products like whipped cream, like yogurt, butter is okay, ghee is okay, and those stuff. Because those milk products, dairy products, they increase craving in sugar-sensitive people. So that's why we take that away. But anyway, so that's keto, simple for me. It's not having to measure ketones and deprive yourself. And also we have seen now with all the knowledge we have about anti-nutrients, lectins and oxalates and fetin. Well, fetin I've known for many, many years from a biologist in Sweden that grains is not good for for us at Mm -hmm. all because it plays havoc with your microbiome in your intestine. And that causes craving. So you could say that any carb can cause craving in us. And it's different. We eat from the same shopping list, (laughs) if I say, the good proteins, the fats, the veggies, but we have different fuel mix. I mean, if you and I would eat together for a day, you know, I would probably, we would eat the same things probably, but I would have a different fuel mix from the protein and the fat and the veggies than you probably do because your body probably deal with it different. So that's one thing we have to understand. But the other thing that's very important, so to answer your question, simple, no, fruit gone, fruit (laughs) triggers. Fruit makes us want to eat more, right? Yeah. And because it is so much sugar in it. And the other thing that you have to remember with this is that due to the early exposure, our brain, if we become addicted, which most people do very early, that is like a scream in your head to get the drug, get the drug. I mean, you are, you have lots of control and you have this monster driving you yeah. to do these things all the time. And then we are, we have very sensitive brains in many, many ways. That's why addiction is special. That's why you have to understand neuroscience if you work with it. You can't deal with a non-addict the same way you deal with an addict mission is to teach addicts about their beautiful, sensitive brain. But also, there's another thing that is very important to understand. That's cue-induced craving. So if a non-addict that likes sweets and likes processed food and eat it sometimes, if they see it or smell it, no alarm goes off in their head. If we see it and smell it, all hell break loose in our heads. We get a craving and craving is a physical response. It's not psychological, mental or anything in that way. It's a totally physical response. That part of the brain notices the chocolate or the ice cream or the cakes or whatever. And then you get totally obsessed. It's like one message only, get it, get it, get it. (laughs) And I used to joke and say, you need a straight jacket to withstand that. Yeah. So a big part of treatment, which I, the word education is better than treatment. Actually, we we educate our clients. Mm -hmm. You need a lot of tools. You need a big toolbox to withstand that craving when you're constantly bombarded with it. So that's why. People think that sugar addict, just tell me what to eat. Yes. (laughs) They said, oh, so you think it's only about changing the food? I said, yeah, if you just tell me what to eat. And they're obsessed with 
what food should I eat? And substitutes, what should I eat instead of bread? And I said, there are no substitutes. Sorry, but they're not. Yeah. And then they are totally obsessed with how do I lose weight quickly? And then the third part, recipes. Do you have any recipes? So that's why I've decided in my books that I'm translating now, not one recipe ever again. Forget recipes. There's enough You're in the world. You're never going to get one from me. Huh? There's enough recipes in the world. <laughs> That's one thing. Learn to cook. Yes. How many different ways can you cook a piece of meat or a piece of fish or eggs? Yeah. Learn that. Don't go into the... Because that's an obsession. I don't have the right recipe. Boo, boo, boo. So cue-induced craving is incredibly important to understand if you work with addicts. Mm. How do you react to smell? How do you react to seeing these things? And what are your strategies to deal with it? So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. I think one of the interesting things that I find is that because we talked about it being, you've, you've shared here in depth that it's, it's a physical response. The brain is structured physically different. Do you, do you think that people need to just make a decision one day to be different forever? Because often people really like the, this idea. Obviously, New Year's is a big time where people decide they're going to be sugar-free or they might feel they might go away on holiday and come back like just I, like I have done and go, oh my God, I feel so disgusting from my holiday. I'm going to be sugar-free and I'm going to live this amazingly healthy life. But of course, real life happens. And like you said, you go to the gas station or the service station, there's stuff everywhere. You go to the supermarket, you can smell the bakery and there's all of these cues and triggers absolutely everywhere. How do we escape that reality? Like, because we have to live in it all of the time. Yes. And of course, then we add on stress and lack of sleep and our decision-making ability goes even lower. And other illnesses, yeah. other illnesses that affect us. I mean, on and on, we could go on and on. Yeah. Well, first of all, something that I have been have as a passion is for us to understand there are three different types of brains or humans. Mm -hmm. We can divide them in three groups. First, you have the social users. They are the ones that have half a drink and then leave it somewhere, don't know where it is. They have a piece of chocolate because they are wired biochemically in the way that their brain doesn't react to that. They enjoy it, but there is no fireworks. Woo. 
woohoo, like that. So that's the way they are and that's the way they stay. Yes. I've been envious about them for a whole my <laughs> <Me> life. <too. laughs> yeah. My co-writer, she's what we call, we joke and call them normies. Mm-hmm. They are normie. Yeah. And then you have the second group, which is a huge group, which are called harmful users. They are the ones that eat on feelings. They are the ones that eat when they're stressed. They are the ones that celebrate. They are part of a culture where they eat this. They have all kinds of reasons why they do this. They are not addicts. They don't have that loss of control. They don't have this, that crazy wiring in their brain. But they do love it and they do get a lot of consequences. But there is where you ask, why do you do this? You have to have a good therapist asking why, why, why? Map that out and do new coping strategies to eat one of those. So learn to live in a different way. And they can eat things in moderation. They can learn that. Addicts, totally different ballgame. That's why I'm so adamant to teach professionals that addiction is a different ballgame. You need a specialist. So it's like with any other severe illness in the world. So you can't ask an addict, why do you do this? That's a stupid question. You have to ask, how can I help you? So an addict, that's why I developed this diagnostic tool. So we quickly can make sure harmful use or addiction, because we never interview social users. We see immediately that they will say, no, 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 I've never done that, never done that. Addicts have a severe brain illness. That's very important. It's chronic. Once it's developed, you're going to have it the rest of your life. It is deadly if you don't do anything about it. Yeah. So it's progressive. It gets worse when you age because the reward center also ages. So most people are afraid to do the sugar because God knows what if I'm an addict, I can never have it. Well, No, you can't. You can never go on vacation with your illness. Your illness doesn't take vacation or Christmas or anything. That's a good way to put it. But then they say, I can't do this for the rest of my life. And I said, no, it's not for the rest of your life. And they look at me floored. What do you mean? It's only for today. It's only for today. So an addict can only make commitment one day at a time because the scream in our head is so high. So if you say forever, you might as well go and hide in a cave for the rest of your life. That's how it feels because the craving for the drug is so strong that bliss that the drug created in the beginning, you know, that wears away and you only get consequences. But that is so strong. We call that addiction memory circuit or euphoric recall. It's always going to be there. So whenever, if I'm tired or it's raining, or whatever, that part of my brain say, oh, shouldn't we have some chocolate today? (laughs) And in the beginning, when I didn't understand and have all the knowledge about the brain, I always started fighting it. Oh, no, no, I don't want to relapse. I don't want to lose my abstinence or my peace and serenity or health, or I don't want to go back up in weight. I don't want to be sick again. I fought it like that. And when you start fighting it, you usually lose because it's always stronger than your conscious will. Yeah. So that's a horrible battle for people. Today, when my red dog comes visit like that, oh, shouldn't we have some chocolate? Look, it's raining. I said, oh, 
are you visiting? And maybe it helps that I'm a dog lover. So I see this as an obnoxious dog. So I said, oh, hi there. Long time ago. How are you? I, I joke with it. And then I said, and they said, oh, should we have some chocolate or whatever? My fav- the favorite drug was. And I said, what? Sounds like a good idea, but not today. And that is a 100% firm decision. Not today. Because I know tomorrow it might be gone for months at an end. I might feel much better. But if Red Dog comes back tomorrow, I fool it the same way. I said, well, not today. Mm-hmm. So that's biggest trick in recovery from this ailment to just do it one day at a time. And the wonderful thing that happened is that you start restoring your energy. You start restoring your mental health. You start recovering from your diabetes, your inflammation, your microbiome that's been broken. Every day you gain some energy and more joy and more. So it's easier and easier to say, well, not today, not today. It sounds like as well, that idea of the not today, it really requires people to live in the present moment because if you're thinking too much about the future and what you're missing out on, that fear will build within you. Yeah, the whole package is all of those tools. Yes. The whole package. So that's why I'm saying that my knowledge gives hope. Hope gives willingness and willingness gives action because you cannot read, talk and talk yourself out of addiction. Mm -hmm. There's no way. You can't think, read, talk yourself out of addiction. And the more you analyze, the more you get paralyzed. So this is the difference from how the psychiatric, psychological department views a problem. They start talking to a person about their thoughts and their feeling. And then they think, if we understand that, we can create a change in behavior. That's not going to work on an addict. You have to start the other way around. You start changing behavior. So you tell your client, do this and come back to me. Then just do it. Don't, don't analyze it. Because the drug, the psychoactive substance of sugar, flour, processed food, plays havoc in your brain with neurotransmitters, with receptors, with fatty acid profile. It creates a havoc in your intestine. So actually, you have very, very dangerous negative false thoughts and negative false feelings. It's very dangerous to analyze and go into therapy. So I love what Daniel Amen, an American psychiatrist, said once when I listened to him. He works with healing brains and he understands food addiction. And he said, well, before you do any therapy, you have to restore the mental horsepower in your brain. I love that saying. And it's the same. If you broke your leg, you're an athlete and you broke your leg. You can't go from the emergency room with the cast on to go out and run a marathon. Yeah. You have to heal the leg first, right? Mm-hmm. It's exactly the same thing. So that's why no therapy, the first big part of a year or more, no deep therapy. All you do, you deal with the negative thoughts and behaviors. You teach them about that and help them get solutions. What can you do instead? What can you think instead? And if you start changing thinking, you start changing behavior. 
but you have to start with action. Eat right. I used to say to my clients, okay, I give you a walking company. I give you a map. I give you a compass. But if you don't walk, nothing going to happen. You got to walk all by yourself. But I'm here to do these things for you. But I'm not walking for you because I can't. Well, that's one of the interesting things about the internet, I think, is that we've got an overwhelming access to information, but people aren't getting healthier because it's the all that matters is the action. Yeah, I have a big slide that I use a lot with a big, huge circle almost all over the slide. And they say, what we know. And then it says ratio. <laughs> and then there's a tiny little circle in the <laughs> corner say, what we do. Yes. <laughs> so the issue is to do different, any of the other things. And that's why I'm not going to provide any recipes. I'm only going to provide facts about the addicted brain and how to restore energy, how to restore your microbiome, how to restore your fatty acid profile, the neurotransmitters. I'm not going to give any other crazy tools or uh, quick fixes or pills or powders. I work with what's called SBT, sobriety-based treatment. So I don't treat addiction with addictive potions. And we don't use any substitute, no keto bread, nothing that looks like bread, no keto desserts, because it's going to trigger. Red dog going to say, you eat a keto dessert, sugar-free today, but it's going to say, hmm, that worked. We can have one more tomorrow. And the next day, yeah, it sort of worked, but I want two. So the third day, you're having two. Before it, bang, you're right back where you started. Yeah. So we know, and that's why we also teach risk situations, the strategies to deal with that, warning signs. And everybody has a different setup of of different hidden warning signs. We undress those Mm -hmm. and lift them up and say, oh my goodness, is that why I do this? So that's what we teach. So it's, it's in my book in English, because I know when people pick up a book about this issue about food, the first thing they do, if you watch them, they start flipping through it to find the page where it say what to eat. Yeah. And then they read that the first because they are so obsessed with food, 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 food. Okay. So then they think, oh, okay, I'm going to start eating that. They don't read the rest. So, and then the next thing they look, how can I lose weight quickly? And they see if there's anything in it about that. And then the third question they have, what shall I eat instead? And then they start looking at substitutes. And the fourth is, where's the recipes? Where's the recipes? So this is all been doing in about three minutes when you pick up a new book. And then, of course, they try to eat like that. They know nothing about the broken brain. They know nothing about the microbiome or neurotransmitters or fatty acid profile. So, of course, three weeks later, it's like they're holding a Pilates ball under the water. Their arms get tired flies up in their head, oh, I can't do this. And they go right back to eat. And you know what happens here? They eat more than they did before because that's how the brain works. Yeah, it's been deprived. So that's what I teach them. They go, now they're going to eat only junk food to compensate for those three weeks when they had that horrible food, as they think. So, of course, now we have a train wreck, a huge train wreck. And it's going to be much, much more difficult to get on the wagon again. And so in this book that I'm translating now, I reversed the table of contents. So I start with that chapter. 
This is what you should eat. Now, let's leave that. And now, it's easy to stop, but it's hard to stay stopped, right? Yes. So then I'm going to say in the end of that first chapter, okay, if you want to stay stopped, read the rest of the books. Because the rest of the book is totally full with tools, how to stay stopped. But that's what they miss out. So I see today with, as I said before, the worst processed food we have today, the more toxic processed food we have today. Yeah. People scream for help, have a much harder time to get on the wagon today than they did 10 years ago. Yep. Because their body is more broken. Yeah. So we as experts on how to do this have to sharpen our tools, develop new tools. We have to constantly look into how can I help this person? What kind of tools does he or she need? for him, her, and the family. Speaking to the family thing, what is your advice for parents that want to either get their currently addicted kids off of sugar or how to model healthy sugar consumption in the home or abstinence from sugar in the home? Well, they have to lead by example. Yeah, That's the only way. I totally agree. <laughs> of course. You can't force your kid to take away this and then you eat it yourself. That's why I mean it's the whole family has to definitely go on the wagon if there is addiction in the family, even if you're one family member. Or, of course, somebody comes home and have the diagnosis by the sugar instrument and said, well, I found out I'm addicted. And then the partner or spouse or whomever said, but I'm not going to change. Then we have ways to treat that. Say, okay, I can't force you to eat my way, but I want your help. I want your support. I want us to decide no junk food in the house. If you can eat whatever you want, but not in the house, you can have it in the garage, in your car, you can go outside and eat it. But please help me because I have something called cue-induced craving. My brain going to want it. So I really want your help to support my health, Yeah, you know, because I need to be healthy. I hear it so often from my clients about their husbands. It's where their husband either says what you just said, like, I'm not changing, or their husbands can even actively sabotage them and they start bringing sugar home more often than normal because they feel judged maybe that their partner's getting healthy and they're not. Or it's such a, I think from what I've seen over the last five years, it's such a big problem. It's a big psychological problem yeah. because I've also seen that if she loses weight, he might think she's going to become gorgeous and go and get another man. I'm going to lose her. So secretly, unconsciously, but somewhere in his head, he wants to keep her sick and fat because she's easier to control sick and fat. Yes. No energy, foggy brain. He can control that. So there are times when we work with families, we say, well, if you want to survive and not die from your diabetes or your depression, you have to leave. Mm, yeah. It's life and death. That's how serious it becomes. Yeah. So that's one thing to be aware of. You, you can't have somebody that comes home and put the drugs in front of you all the time. And I compare it with heroin. What if you were a heroin addict? Do you think you could have heroin with your spouse Friday, Saturday for fun? It's not going to work. Yeah. So we try to help them in as many ways. And sometimes 
we get to the point where the spouse want to come in and have knowledge. And once they get knowledge, they go shocked. Yes. I had no idea because they don't have the same craving or and sometimes they are addicted yes, to and both most of the time recovery. I would say. Woo, I love that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's of course good for the kids. So when we check up on them later, they said, Well, it's wonderful because he or she is really respecting me now, supporting me, buys the good food home, cooks with me, is learning and is very interested in how to have a healthy body and brain. Those are good cases. Absolutely. That's not always the case, though. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So that's why the toolbox to stay stop, as you can imagine, is huge. Yeah, well, and it's like that family illness, family treatment. Yeah. Like everybody needs it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's like they said to me in the beginning of my recovery, that when I was in treatment for my alcoholism in 1985, and I thought, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I might as well go and live on a lone island because I felt so bad yeah. before I understood and had the knowledge. And then they said to me, oh, this is easy. All you have to do is change everything in your life. And that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do a real lifestyle changes. Yeah. You do it only one day at a time. You do it with knowledge and support and baby steps. And that's why my model is 10% is about the food and the biochemical repair, but it is the foundation which you have to build the rest on. Yes. So if you don't do that, the rest can't be used, right? 40% is working with behavioral changes, thoughts, feelings, urges, actions, and start from the bottom, action, urges, feelings, and thoughts. And 50% is support. Like if you and I were fighting and starting out our recovery, we could call each other or text each other and yeah. say, how are you doing today? Well, lunch was good, but dinner is hell. I have cravings. Okay. What is your craving telling you? How does the craving, what color does the craving have? How strong is it? What can you do? Well, you can take a salt shot. You can take a spoon of ghee. You can drink water before dinner. I mean, there's so many tools yeah. to use. We could take supplements like glutamine, like GABA, to curb cravings. So we work with an incredible huge toolbox to help people. So, Maddie, only for today. Next day, it might be my problem that I have cravings and you support me. Yeah. So this is what we do. We share knowledge, we share solutions, we share support. So that's how you do recovery. Without that support, nobody can make it themselves. That means relapse, bang. Yeah, and, and I've heard you say this before and it's similar to the, I guess what I try and do as well is that that healing in community and in group is so much stronger because people are in a space of shared values and shared understanding as opposed to trying to privately do it on your own at home where nobody's keeping you accountable. Yeah, I love what they taught me in the beginning when I started my training. When it comes to addiction, to help an addict one-on-one, it's like chasing a slippery soap in a slippery bathtub. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. They don't get the response from other people because it's very powerful because everybody thinks I'm the only one doing this nuts, crazy, sick things. And then you talk to somebody else. I do exactly the same. I throw it in the garbage and then I pick it up and eat it. And I do this and I lie that I'm going to have a party. And I go to the bakery and said, oh, Aunt Annie, she wants this bakery. 
I mean, we have all those stupid behaviors. And to hear that and start laughing about it, that is such a healing tool that's incredible. Oh, you did that too? That's exactly what I do, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, that's what's so important. That's why I support group. That's why that's 50% of the whole treatment concept. Mm-hmm. 50%. Yeah. So I love that. So that's incredibly important. And I don't, I always said no to people that want to work with me one-on-one. I can have one-on-one talks during the treatment process, but they have to be in group because I saw quickly nothing going to happen in a one-on-one. It's up like sun and crash down and up like the sun and crash down. So that's very important. I'm curious for everybody listening at home, where can they find you online? Where can they find your stuff, your education, your training programs? Yeah. Well, the best place to go is to my website, Bitten's Addiction. It's like bitten 2T and an S, like in storm and addiction. One word, bittensaddiction.com. And then they can Google me, of course, and I come up on LinkedIn, on Facebook. I'm not so much on Instagram, Mm -hmm. uh, but LinkedIn and my website and also on Twitter sometimes. So those are the platform where you can find me. Fabulous. And also I want to say that anyone that think you think you have a problem, go to Facebook and look for the group Sugar Bomb, one word, in your brain. Mm -hmm. That's a support group. So there you find more information and other people that are learning this process. Yeah, amazing. For all those links, I'll put them down in the show notes below for for everybody to get their hands on. So feel free to scroll down to the show notes and uh, click on Bitten's links and um, yeah, get into her world because clearly she's amazing. And Yeah, and the Sugar Bomb group is a closed group and you have to answer a couple of questions to be admitted in there. Yeah, fabulous. Bitten, I love spending time with you. I love how direct you are. I love how amazing you are. And in another life, you're like my cool auntie that I just think is amazing. <laughs> um, but for, before we, you. you're welcome. Before we wrap up, what is one health piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? The brain and insulin. Learn more about your brain, how wonderful it is, how magic it is, what's to fuel it, and the in hyperinsulinemia. When you eat carbs, your body releases too much insulin many times, and you need to understand how sick you be, uh, become from that. It's the mother of all sickness today. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Thanks so much for being yeah. here, Bitten. Thank you. I think you're amazing, and I hope to have you back again Thank soon. You. You Let's too. not make it two years next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, you're welcome back. Thanks. Talk yeah. soon. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode.
Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.